Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's spelled S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks as in Sparks are flying. And when you request my quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So tonight I'm really excited to have as my guest, Dr. Martina Fausch. Dr. Martina is a sex therapist with over 15 years of experience in private practice, helping people resolve their sexual concerns and challenges and changing their sex life for the better. Welcome to the show, Dr. Martina. Well, thank you very much for having me, Sumati. So glad to have you. Um, so it was really fun meeting you on the beach in Maui. So Martina is another friend on the same island with me. And we had a mutual friend introduce us on a nude beach. And <laughs> we determined that we were both in similar fields and became fast friends. So I'm super excited to get to know your work a little bit better here on the show. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> so um, let's start with, you know, did you, when you were a little girl, did you say, I want to grow up and be a sex therapist? Or like, how did, how did it come about that you became a sex therapist? <laughs> that would have been great, wouldn't it? Can you imagine a six-year-old just saying, Mommy, I want to be a sex therapist. <laughs> no, no, I had absolutely no idea. You know, it's funny, I get that question quite a bit. It's, 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 I, I'm not quite sure what it was. It was, I was 40 and I was in the corporate world, you know, stockings and high heels and all of that stuff, and that went down the tube. And I just decided to take some time off for about six months. And then a friend of mine at dinner said, well, what do you want to do now, Martina? says, I want to teach. I've always wanted to be a teacher. I think it's just one of the most beautiful professions in, that we can do in our lifetime. And she says, oh, good. What do you want to teach? And with all kinds of energy and cojones, I'm not quite sure what brought it out, but the word sex came out of my mouth. Hmm. And that was that. That's exactly what happened. And then the other person who was there at dinner too. Then she says, "Well, you need to. Then you need to meet so and so, Ted McElvena, which is the founder of the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco." She says, "I had dinner with him last night. I'm his realtor for the last 20 years." And three weeks later, I was enrolled in the PhD program to become a clinical sexologist. Boom. Wow. That's, that's, that's clarity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure if it was clarity or if it was just luck that I, because I remember the second before I said the word sex, I had all kinds of, I had a major dialogue in my head saying, oh, a debate. You can't say sex. You can't do sex. I mean, nobody teaches sex. I mean, what are you talking about? But I want to teach sex, but you can't do it, you know? And all of that in my head went on for like a a huge long time, but somehow it came out, and that's all it takes sometimes. If there's really something that's meant to be, sometimes it takes a little courage to open up the door, and then 
you don't have to worry about the rest. And that's yeah, and what are the odds that the person that you're with knew the head of, probably, was it the only school that offered a PhD in human sexuality? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely that she happened to be there. That was in the year of 2000, February, January of the year of 2000. And I, and that she had dinner with him the night before. And I mean, it was, it was truly a blessing. You know, those yeah. are one of those steps that you cannot turn around. You cannot, you know, because you're being slapped in the face with, with, with destiny. So mm-hmm. I have definitely, you, have you ever, I feel blessed. Awesome. Have you ever regretted the decision as you've got, as you went through school and set up your practice? No, no, not even once. Awesome. And this is one of the things that uh, like a teacher gets to see a student have an aha moment. And me as a sexuality teacher, I get to see humans having an aha moment with their sexuality. And we look beautiful in those moments, just like mm. a child does when she is. So it's, no, I never regretted it at all. It's been, you know, not always easy, but um, I, would, I would not change it for the world. Mm-hmm. So I never know exactly who's listening to this radio show. It could be people with lots of experience in the, the consciousness fields of human sexuality, or it could be people that are just really curious and brand new. So can you just tell us, like, what does a sex therapist do? Because a lot of people might think it's kind of like sex surrogacy. So can you differentiate those two? Yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate you giving me a chance to do that. Um, in the beginning, I was I was really taken back by the ignorance, and it's still there. People really do not, I mean, the word clinical sexologist, you know, people always say, what is that? They know that has the word sex on it. But <laughs> so with sex therapy, you know, they want to know, okay, what does one do in sex therapy? And then some who have a little more, courage to ask we said you have sex with your clients i'm like no that's what sex surrogacy is mm-hmm. so sex therapy and what you can come in and have an initial appointment just like the psychotherapy and then you hear about the challenge the client is has in front of themselves and where they want to go and then you put together a a teaching plan, and in sexology, it's usually a short-term thing. And um, and then we, you know, we put that program together, and then we start working together, and and that's sex therapy. The topic is about human sexual behavior, and they're the challenges that the individual deals with at the moment. And do you ever refer your clients to sex surrogates? I have done that. I have definitely done that um, when I was living in the Bay Area more than, well, I'm fairly new to the island, but I have done that. I've had um, the only time, I mean, as a sexologist or as a sex therapist, you have to make connections and you have to kind of build your network up and a sex surrogacy should definitely be part of my network program. I did find somebody that I trusted and I I knew her work. Um, I knew her from the Institute. And so it was easy for me to refer clients to her. But then to be honest, I, you know, she retired and, um, 
and then I have then I didn't find anyone else that I felt comfortable because sex surrogacy is is truly is that's an essential part if i if for instance if i have a client that is a that is a virgin at age 35 mm-hmm. a male client that is still a virgin at age 35 and then i will talk to him through i prepare him to that event and then ultimately you know he's going to have to jump into the pool right mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's nice when you when you without clothes on of course it's nice <laughs> when you have an, an an opportunity to to then say okay well now if i think you're ready and do you think you're ready and then you pass them on to the sex surrogacy mm-hmm. and then she takes over and then she goes exactly you know we actually talk you know there's a there's a mutual agreement that we all can talk to each other and um i tell her where I think he is and we all talk together and I mean that person is so well taken care of and to be honest somebody I I can I can imagine that centuries ago that's exactly what we had we had houses and we had people that uh, you know families that sent their children to these homes to learn how to have sex and Mm -hmm. to learn how to be physically connect with somebody now of course we are far away from that Mm-hmm. You know, so, some would argue that prostitution is still part of that. And I do, you know, for my dissertation, I interviewed 1,200 prostitutes about their work. And often I heard that, you know, they educate and they teach and they do all kinds of things with their clients. So, you know, maybe we're not that far away from it, but it's all under under a different kind of a blanket. It's definitely not in an honorable light as it used to be. So, so that's yeah. a long answer for us. Well, yeah, because the puritanical culture has pushed it underground. But I remember, what, did you ever watch that show? I think it was a Showtime series called Masters of Sex. Yes, yes. So it was the yes, for the listeners who don't. Is it still yeah. going? The shows that are, I'm sorry, the, the shows that are coming up are definitely, they're exciting. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, we're we're having, you know, Netflix has a nice series too about sex education. So at least we're getting out of the, just talking about sex and actually putting some educational stuff in it that people can relate to. Right. And that is exciting because that was not there, you know, exactly. Well, what struck me about Masters of Sex and why I brought it up is because if the show is true to history, um, Masters and Johnson started out with their research with sex workers because that those, those were the only people that were even willing to admit they were having sex or talk talk about sex and have sex in front of them and all the things they needed to do to research it were with sex workers and there was really like one sex worker that he first went to, to find more, you know, to find more sex workers. So she was like the unsung hero of the Masters and Johnson's research. And we'll never know her name or, you know, be able to honor her contribution mm-hmm. to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she didn't have a hard time finding, you know, her colleagues to come along, you know, but mm-hmm. one of the problems Masters and Johnson ran into because they did use prostitutes for their research, by the way, which is true, um, because they couldn't find anybody else. Um, they, um, their research was, was kind of like, you know, shoved away and, and tried to, 
qualify the quality of it and because where it came from, mm-hmm. you know, because they just couldn't and they could not accept real research from people who sell their bodies for sex. This is, that was the attitude towards it. So Masters and Johnson had the research. They were able to come up with the data, but the data was really never um, um, appreciated to its full value as it would have uh-huh. been if there would have been like, you know, Joe Blow and, and Susie from next door. <laughs> but I think crazy. they did they did a wonderful I mean they were the first ones who who you know, who actually watched people having sex so they could tell mm-hmm. them what they were doing wrong. I mean if you're teaching somebody another activity, because I think sex is an activity, if you're teaching somebody about tennis or, or golf, then they go and watch them how they swing the, the golf club, you know, and then they can tell them what they need to adjust. And with sex, we should be able to do the same thing, but um, we can't. Yeah, that's a good point. Masters and and so, it. All right. And so if you have a lover and one person is more experienced than the other, there's all that emotionality around Telling, you know, trying to teach them or show them and have, have the person feel insecure and feel like they should know it already, which is kind of silly because where are they going to learn it until they actually do it? <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> exactly. it, it makes a lot of sense if we just had, if it was normal to just have people watch us at first and teach us. <laughs> That would be so great. It would be. I'm a I'm a I'm a real I'm a big fan and I promote that wherever I can and I put that also in, in programs when I work with with individuals or couples is mutual masturbation. Mm-hmm. You know, be with your partner, watch your partner, how your par- partner touches him or herself. And especially women who have anxieties about, you know, not being able to come during intercourse, but they can actually come while they're masturbating, but they think the way they're doing is super weird and just awkward and crazy, mm-hmm. and they're the only ones who are doing it that way. Okay. Then I tell them, why don't you open yourself up to your partner and show how you masturbate and and how and and it's amazing. It's it's it definitely will push them out of their comfort zone. But you know, when we want to learn, that's where we have to go. That's where the magic happens. So it there's so much information in mutual masturbation. On top of that, it's super hot. Super mm-hmm. super hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of going to a tantra workshop years ago, and the teachers, it was all couples, and the teachers gave us our homework that night to masturbate in front of each other, but don't come. So it it ended up raising this incredible energy for the rest of the week of the workshop. (laughs) It's so great. Yeah, (laughs) that would do it. (laughs) That's funny. That would definitely do it. That would bring the the energy up. No no trouble. No problems. That's funny. So what do you That's, think is the most challenging hurdle for people to, you know, to overcome to make that first call to you to like come to a sex therapist? The one the one question I I can see it in their eyes when they come in, how they sit down and how they ultimately really start talking about it, is they just wanna know or they're afraid they're not normal and that they're mm-hmm. a hopeless case. Mm. It, it always amazes me how people with as, as, a, as a challenge like premature ejaculation, 
which is something that every, you know, 30% of man experience, I can still have a gentleman walk into my practice with premature ejaculation thinking he's the only one. Mm-hmm. So that's fear, you know, that they're going to be labeled as abnormal and that they're a hopeless case, that fear will actually make people hold on to my phone number for years. Mm. I just had an inquiry for a new session yesterday from a client who's, who's, I said, how did you get my number? And, and because she's in Europe and she says, oh, you were on a, on a TV show in, in Zurich, Switzerland. I said, that was in 2017. She said, yeah. Wow. Amazing. So it is amazing, and and it breaks my heart. So it really breaks my heart because it is so unnecessary. I'm pretty sure this is how we felt when we were going into psychotherapy. Where, you know, I remember in my 20s, psychotherapy was oh, that's for crazy people. I will not go to therapy. I don't need it. I can figure it out. I remember saying that, you know, with my ego leading me right through that conversation, through that statement, and 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 now it's okay that you need therapy i mean we all need help you know i'm i've been in in and out of therapy and i will continuously doing it because i want to continuously learn and evolve and i hope and my mission is that we're going to get to that point with sex therapy but we're not there we're definitely not there right so yeah everybody wants to know am i normal (laughs) or am i weird or am i the only one yeah yeah, and then I always say normal is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, do you want your sex to be normal? <laughs> I know. That's that's I and I always say normal sex is boring. <laughs> right. You know, so you know, but that's why I try to make them laugh and then but even the hopeless case, you know, like someone who's dealt with, with some kind of a trauma and they feel like now they're hopeless in bed because they, they cannot get themselves to have sex again and they really think it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. And that is just a really sad uh, place to be and that's why I really hope that we're going to change that. And, and like I said, that's my mission to really let people know you do not have to sit on that spot by yourself in pain and and shame and agony and distress, you can pick up and call a sexologist and and start the process of letting go of the shame. Because, you know, as soon as you get the shame only has a power and shame is so is a twin of sex. So it has it only has the power until it's spoken. And as soon as Mm -hmm. it's spoken, you're relieved from from the anxiety about it. Yeah. I had a client who wanted to do a, a separate session, a session separate from his wife with me so that he could ask me if he was gay because he likes to put his finger in his butt when he's masturbating. <laughs> and he was so terrified I, for his wife. You didn't hear me? Yeah, I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was so terrified that his wife would find out that he enjoys that and that that meant he was gay. Oh. Broke my heart. It's it. Yeah, it does. I had a 22 year old who said that too. He says, you know, I really enjoy anal play, but I'm afraid to tell my 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 girlfriend because, 
you know, I think I'm gay. And I said, oh, anal sex does not belong to the homosexual male. Right. <laughs> it belongs to the, to the sexual being. We all have one. We all have a butt, you know, so we all get to enjoy that. It's not, there's no, you know, the body does not discriminate like that. Right. It really doesn't. Yeah. Well, so I just said, you're only gay if the finger is attached to your boyfriend. <laughs> I I can I can I can I take that? Can I I will quote you on that. I will use that because I'm pretty sure I'll have an opportunity to do so. You know, I'm trying not to laugh about things like this because I don't want people who listen thinking that, you know, that is we I'm completely aware of the the pain that is associated with not knowing and, mm-hmm. and I've been there myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have an orgasm till age 37. Mm. And I've been sexually active, you know, for many, many years before that. So I know that pain of thinking I'm weird. So, but I also know that it can be overcome and it can, you can learn sex. Sex is an activity that needs to be learned because they don't teach us. So we have to learn it. Yeah. And I, I can think back to when I was in college and, you know, have this male dominated sexual, uh, you know, templates that were, that were taught to follow. And so my boyfriend would, you know, do his thing and fall, you know, try to fall asleep afterwards. And I'd be like masturbating (laughs) because I didn't come. And he would go, are you masturbating? Stop shaking the bed. I'm trying to sleep. Yeah, yeah. And then the so 70s I, came. So and, the thought, and again, I, I'm laughing now, you know, 40 years later, but like at the time, yeah. I thought that there was something wrong with me that I didn't come as fast as him, you know, that I needed all this extra stimulation. I thought that that made me flawed and that I didn't know that other women needed more, um, you know, different kinds of stimulation and attention. I just didn't know that. So, well, there's so much. How were you ignorance. supposed to? How? How were you supposed to know? Right, exactly. So I have a question for you. Um, I was reading your brochure, and you say here that you help to identify turn-ons and become masterful with your own arousal. This way you can reach the P-O-N-R at all times. What is P-O-N-R? Oh, I apologize. You know, somebody asked me, is that, are you sure people know that? And I said, yeah, yeah, I didn't have time to <laughs> squeeze it all in. You know, I'm like, well, that's the only thing that, that fits. The point of no return. Ah, yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah. And that is actually from Masters and Johnson. That goes back, that goes back decades. That's the Masters and Johnson used that, that term, point of no return. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you help them to be able to reach that at your own will as opposed to losing control of when you get to that point and then I'm done now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the, 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 the arousal, the, the journey, you know, sexuality happens between two reflexes. The first reflex is, is when like somebody, it turns on a switch and you're feeling, you know, a little blood flow, you're feeling a little cribbling and you go like, Oh my God, I'm turned on. 
And that's, let's say, your number zero, number one, and then number 10 is when you come. That's the turn. And that journey between number one and 10, and 10, there's the other reflex, which is an involuntary reflex of your muscles where you actually have an orgasm. Sexuality happens in between. Mm -hmm. And that journey, you know, you can learn what kind of sources, what kind of arousal sources you use to go up and then you can learn how you come back down. It's like an elevator. You know, first you go up really quickly to number five or six and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to go up that fast. Then you can learn how to go back down and take another level down and then you lose a little, you know, the male will lose some erection and I tell him that's okay. You can go right back up and then between eight and ten is what we call the critical zone and there you need to have a little more skill to really play because there you're playing with a little fire, you know, because you're close to the edge. Mm-hmm. And this is what people also call edging when they keep themselves at nine and a half. But that journey mm-hmm. is your responsibility. It's not your partner's responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility to know what takes you to these different levels and how you can bring it down. And when you know that, then you can teach your partner. And if you are sitting there and waiting for your partner to figure your body out, which we all have done for years, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't happen, then, you know, you're at a loss. But if you learn it yourself, then you're, you can participate in it. And it's, you know, it's all, it all can be learned. I mean, our bodies mm-hmm. are amazing. Mm-hmm. When I was in my 30s, I did a female shamanic training course with Vicki Noble, and one of our um, exercises that we did was to, you know, go home and every night for, I forget how many weeks it was, bring yourself close to orgasm. So we were all women in this group, obviously, um, since it was called female shamanic training. <laughs> um, so, bring our, so we were all Yoni owners. Um, so bring yourself close to orgasm without going over and do that, you know, three, four, however many times you can do it without going over. And you know, most of the time, don't don't go over. But you know, if, if that happens, sometimes it's okay. Like the intention was to like raise that energy and get that energy in your body so that you're kind of close to orgasm as your baseline. So I'm wondering if you have learned anything in your studies about does that improve a woman's health? Does it make her more attractive to people? Have you learned anything about that? Does it make you more attractive to people? Well, what it does is it gives her um, being able to, I mean, in order for you to bring yourself up and know what is close to orgasm, what is not close to orgasm, that requires for you to be aware of your body and mostly Mm -hmm. of your muscle tension, Mm -hmm. of your breath, and of your movement, of the stimulation, you know, how much, how much do you hold your muscles? Because when we are sexual, we have three large muscle groups that are, that are helping us being sexual, and they happen to be the three largest muscle groups that we have in our bodies, and that's the pelvic floor muscle, the glutes, and the abdominal muscles. So when you're doing that exercise you just described, you are working hard. I mean, you know, sex is, is an exercise. Your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, but you will, you will become aware 
of where your body is. You will become aware where your muscle tension is. So when you do that and you become familiar with that, you become familiar with your body and with those muscle groups around your genital area, you can walk down the street thinking about that and you will move the body that will turn hands. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, because you feel good. You feel mm-hmm. good because you are completely aware of your hips. One of the main things I do in my practice is um, in sexocorporeal, you know, we incorporate the bodies with our with our work. And I have people walk, and it's amazing how stiff we are in our hips. And it is truly against all kind of a sexual enhancement. You cannot be sexually free with stiff hips you can't do it so having that exercise that you were given will definitely teach you to be loose in your hips and be aware of your pelvic floor and that's a beautiful thing it will also take care of your lower back pains I mean I haven't had I haven't had sex in a long time because of the the pandemic and my back is is in bad shape Mm. Right. And it wasn't, my, it wasn't my breathing before. my my breathing pattern is not as good. I do not breathe as deeply as I usually do when I have consistently sex. Mm-hmm. Because with sex I use my breath, I use my muscles, I use my hips and all of that has been put in the garage for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean I do masturbate but not to the point and I don't get the activity out of masturbating as I do with a partner. You know, it's more right. physical there. Right, right. So yes. Yes, I mean, and especially in our older age. I mean, I, you know, I think we're probably about the same age, but my lower back has been a problem for a long time. And, um, and I'm, you know, and I realized, oh, my God, why am I so stiff? And I tried to dance a little bit there at home, and I can't move my hips. I'm like, why am I so stiff? Oh, oh, I haven't had sex in a long time. Right. Plus With a partner. I think I've been sitting in chairs a lot more since I'm doing so much stuff online now. So that sitting sitting too much can also make your hips really tight. We all sitting, I mean I at least I have a driveway that is really steep and I, I kick in on that driveway so I can get my hips moving and but I hope that answers your question about, about health purposes. Absolutely. Yeah, you yeah. know, sexuality oh. is, it's not just an emotional support, it's also a physical support for your body because your whole body participates in sexual activities. Mm-hmm. I awesome. mean, we're exhausted afterwards, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So because if you're just it's us, an exercise. It is an exercise, yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host. Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Dr. Martina Fausch, a sex therapist who's been in private practice for a long time and has probably seen just about everything there is to see regardless of sexual concerns and challenges. So if you'd like to ask Dr. Fausch any questions, you can anonymously or not anonymously call in to the show. And uh, it's just your voice. Um, no one will see you. We won't know your name. So um, the call-in number is 657-383-1132, and you'll be put on hold, and we will get to, your, get to your call at the right time. So again, that number is 657-383-1132.
So you talked earlier about, um, you know, we, we were saying that like normal sex is no fun. So how do you help people who have been in a long-term relationship and their sexuality or their, their sexual connection is starting to become a little monotonous? Well, that's, that's a big question. And the reason why there's, there's more, more parts to it. First of all, if both parties are still in a loving relationship and they love each other and they're actually interested in, in continuing their sexual relation, even so it's been put on ice for all this time, then um, we can work on, you know, I would just ask them a lot, a lot of questions about what turns them on, what their, one of the main, my major, my favorite question is what has, can you tell me what your favorite sexual experience has been in your life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I will ask them, and then they say yes, and I say, then ask me and tell me what made it so special. And we get like a blueprint of their turn-ons and what really turns them on. And it's usually something they put aside and they put in the corner for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And if we can get those out and get the partners out and mix them up and, and come up with something that they should try and can try, I will, we will discuss it and come up with, a, with an exercise, I don't call it exercise, with, with a, a sexual experience that they will then have. And then the next time we will talk about it, how it went. And mm-hmm. we are super creative. Creativity comes up. Now, when it becomes a problem is if the sex has been thrown out the window and um, for reasons of it was never there in the first place for one partner and then trying to get that back in and get them back on track with something that was never there, that is, takes a little more time and that takes commitment from these people to really want it. Mm-hmm. You know, to really yeah. want to have that sexual relationship. And that I cannot make them want it. I can tell them where it is. I can show them where it is. It's like I can show them where the water is. I cannot make them drink it. Right. And this is, brings me to, to the point what I offer is people should have, uh, I put together a six-session a six program for people before they get married. Mm-hmm. So they can set up some standards of where they want their sexuality to be. Because if I'm telling you that I'm going to love you till death do us part, and I'm going to promise you to be the best lover I can be for you. Mm-hmm. That would make a whole difference. That would make a huge difference. I love that. That's such an awesome offering. So guess what? Mm-hmm. We have a caller. Yeah. Wonderful. You ready to take a question? I sure am. Okay, great. Okay, caller, uh, go ahead and ask your question to Dr. Martina. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. <laughs> Um, I have a question about um, about chemistry and trying to figure out why we have chemistry with some people and we don't have chemistry with other people. It's like, you know, this sort of physiological mojo that happens that sometimes you really want to have chemistry with some folks, but you don't. Like you like them for lots of reasons, but then there just isn't that sort of spark. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's really... A, a way to quantify it or, or measure it, but I'm wondering, yeah, what's what's that all about? The pheromones or something? 
<laughs> it would be nice if I would question. have like a magic what, what stick and I could just give it to you and then you could walk around and you say, ooh, I like this person. I want to have chemistry. Just touch them with your stick and voila. That would be wonderful, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> right? It would be. Yeah. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, chemistry. I call, I, I try to shy away from chemistry because chemistry is a term that kind of puts the thing more into like in a universe that we really have nothing to do with. And that's not true. It's attraction. Mm. It's, it's attraction and we have attraction codes and the attraction codes can be like on a spectrum of like a half circle. You know, it can be you, you are attracted to everything. So tall, short, loud, quiet, um, skinny, um, heavy, whatever, and you, everything kind of turns you on, and then it's just maybe what you, the moment you are in that kind of adds and makes everything possible for you to have this chemistry and have this attraction. And then we have attraction codes who are more narrow. And then, you know, you are going like, okay, you're walking into a party, and if I look around, I'm like, okay, how many people could I have sex with in here? And out of 30 people, you go like, uh, not really, maybe one. So I think it's just a matter of you learning what it is that attracts you. And this is something you want to check in continuously because I'm pretty sure, you know, what attracted you when you were 20 is not the same thing that attracts you when you're 40. Or 60. It changes. Just like mm-hmm. you don't eat the same food like you did when you were 20 or 40 or 60. Mm-hmm. Everything changes because it belongs to your body. Your body decides when to kick in. Of course, your mind has a lot to do with that too. But <laughs> in your body changes, your thoughts changes. So it is, it's, it's the attraction code that you can look at and say, okay, I really like you, but I just don't. I mean, I have a woman that I have a friend that I dearly, dearly love. But and there's times I really wish I was attracted to her, but I am not because she looks like my she. She reminds me of my mother. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that person has something underlying there that you don't even know what that is, but maybe the person just does something in your psyche you go like you know i really like this man or this woman but i just i just can't get it on i can't get Mm. it up i always call it i had a a friend too and i said listen if i if i see you at a party and i'm already at third base meaning i'm horny i'm hot and i'm all of that stuff i'd love to have sex i will chump your bones but i cannot get to first base with you wow interesting Right? I hope you're a baseball fan because otherwise this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, you know. So, so sometimes the setting makes a difference too, yeah. The setting where you're coming from, the last experience you've had, and that's the beauty about our sexuality. Do not try to figure it out. Just kind of have interest in it and go like, okay, well, this is interesting. I would love, I could, I could have sex with her when I'm on third base, but I can't get to first base with her. And well, that must be, and then I realized I, it was a body attraction, which went away once my horniness was up. 
which is also fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, if you can be honest with yourself and really go in and see of where you're standing, what it is that you like about them, and look, look what you like about them. Look for the cheese. Don't look for the holes in the cheese. <laughs> and you will, you will have an easier way to maneuver through the complexity of attraction. Does that help? Okay. Yeah, that helps. Thank you. I'm I'm hungry now. You I'm going to go eat some cheese and watch some baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I know the signs are playing. They're playing right now. I know. <laughs> I Thank you. Thank that. you for your time. You're welcome. Thanks. thanks for calling in. Yeah, thanks for calling. Great. Yeah, so that's a good question because there is sometimes there's this je ne sais quoi with somebody where everything just falls into place and your bodies just seem to meld yeah. together and they yeah. do exactly what you like and you don't have to talk about it. But other times you have to talk it through and practice. But I think you can get there if people are willing. Like you said, they have to both be really willing and committed. And you can get there with anybody that you want to, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely, I think you can, especially if there's a love connection. With a stranger, sometimes it's a little harder because you have nothing else to lean on but just what you're seeing in front of you, the physical stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. But if you have it with somebody, like, I mean, this is with long-term partners, you know, they fall out of attraction with each other. And I have to remind them when I sit with them, I have to remind them what they like about each other. I have to remind them to look at the cheese mm-hmm. and not the holes. It's just we're amazing. We're in such a society that wants everything. You know, we're getting spoiled. We are so we, Everything's convenient for us, everything. So if anything just doesn't kind of fit anymore, we don't, we're, we're throwing our hands up and we don't want to work on it a little bit. And that is just... A really a pity because I've done that too in my earlier years and I've missed out on a lot of connections by just looking for the things that were not there instead of looking at them instead of liking the things that were there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I also noticed that yeah. when I go to like a workshop or a retreat, I'm attracted to more people than in just my day-to-day life because I'm relaxed, I, I'm not having any stress. Um, you know, I'm having fun. I'm, you know, doing all the things that human beings were meant to do rather than work and be all stressed out about making money. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm out there having mm-hmm. a good time and connecting with people. And next thing you know, everybody looks beautiful to me. I know. Isn't that gorgeous? <laughs> it's, it, it really is. It's, and I think it's something we have to grow into. I mean, I... I will. Rem- I remember the day, and this is. And this is. I'm really coming out here with something I'm not proud of, but, but it's it's part of who I was. Um, initially, in my twenties, I was attracted to absolute. That was when I was exclusively with women. I was attracted to models because mm-hmm. they had to be absolutely perfect because they made me look better because they were on my arm. So they actually had to be perfect. And then that, of course, my attraction code was very narrow. I didn't even see anybody else. Mm-hmm. And about 15 years later, I was driving down Folsom Street in San Francisco, and I was sitting on Folsom and 7th. I will never forget this. And here comes this little Latina woman, completely out of my, out of my 
range of attractant. She was like 5'2", about 220 pounds. So she was a heavy set girl, but the way she walked, she knew she was sexy. Mm-hmm. And the way she walked, it just turned me on. And, I, and that opened up, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, if I just stop seeing what is there and really see it and not what I want her to be, which is 5'10 and 130, 20 pounds or 110 pounds, then I can actually be attracted to a lot of people and think everybody's beautiful. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. I want to chump their bones, but I can definitely smile at them and go like, wow, you're a beautiful being, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and also, that's something we have to grow into, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, there's the whole topic of, you know, learning, like unlearning the programming around who you should be attracted to. Like you were so courageous to admit that you you realize that you looked better if you had a certain type of person on your arm and I think that's true for a lot of us you know I might meet somebody and and one of my thoughts would be like oh I I couldn't possibly let my friends see me with this person you know like how would that look to yeah I I think that crosses our minds a lot when we're choosing a partner but then there's also the issue of you know this woman that you explained she had this wonderful body image you know she didn't let the tabloids tell her that she wasn't beautiful and so that is that is also something that's really challenging to do so do you help people improve their body image yes i take them to a clothing optional beach here in maui if i'm with them here if they're here and we start out with totally being closed and then we just start having a conversation about are we judging other people's bodies, you know? And if I recognize that we're doing that, that means, you know, they're judging their own body. And if they stop judging their own body, then they think everybody else is beautiful. It's amazing how that works. It's, a, it's one of my favorite things to do is work with body image issues because um, I've had them myself. I've had to learn, you know, my body is 60 now, and I had to learn to love my body over times and... And it's a beautiful journey because the sexuality belongs to our body. And what I have learned with all of this, if the woman or the man thinks, well, this is not especially with women, if the woman thinks she's sexy, it doesn't matter what kind of shape her body is in, what kind of, how it fits the norm, what people think they, these people should have sex, but these people shouldn't because they're overweight or they're ugly or whatever. If the woman thinks she's sexy, that's all it takes for her and for the rest of the world to really be educated. I don't know if you had a chance to, on Netflix the other day, I saw um, Rihanna did um, uh, a music video of an hour and 15 minutes, and I was just flabbergasted because of the way the guy wrote about it. He says, this puts sexy in a new and a whole new perspective. And of course, I had to see what he meant. And what he meant is that that Rihanna had people dancing, in every, and these, people, these dancers she had were in every shape, and then, then there was like a lingerie section. And, and in the lingerie section, she had like a 300-pound man Ooh. dance, and he was beautiful. 
Mm. And then she had these really, really big girls, I mean, big girls, uh, a lot of them coming lingerie and dancing lingerie. And it was just such a relief. And I said, oh, my God, this is so, we need this so much. Wow, that's great. So it's, yeah, yeah, we're going in the right direction, I hope, with body image, because it's still, I think it's still the one thing that people really hold back from really enjoying sex. Mm-hmm. If you don't love your body the way it is, you cannot expect to that body to give you a sexual experience that you're happy with because you're not loving the body. Mm-hmm. It really body image is is my favorite topic, and it's something because it will it will it will it will catapult you in the right direction with just huge steps because loving your body is really the first thing you need to do. Mm-hmm. Well, one of my favorite things to talk about um, regarding that is that, yes, we all need to get better at loving our own bodies, and we are interdependent people, and particularly in the polyamory communities, we, um, we're a community, and so we need to support each other, and sometimes we need to let other people know they're beautiful and not be so afraid to tell somebody that they're gorgeous for fear that they're going to think that now you have to marry them or something, or now you have to have sex with them. Like you can just tell them that they're beautiful and sexy. And and also if, if you do have sex with a variety of body types, you actually become more desirable to other people in the community because they see you as someone who's not judging people by their bodies. And ironically, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the traditionally beautiful people will even feel safer with you because they'll know you're not only choosing them because of how they look. So it ha- so being seen with a variety of people actually makes you more desirable in the community. Exactly. And, and you mentioned something about community, and you're absolutely true. A community can help you with your body image thing. I remember being part of a sex-positive community. We had, we had um, sex orgies like once a month, and there was like between 20 and 30 people in every shape of body. Mm-hmm. And everybody was felt beautiful, and everybody was told they were beautiful in some way. I mean, if you're looking at, if you really love people and you love sex and you're looking at a person, you will find something beautiful about their body because obviously the statement that you're making has to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it can't just be superficial. And 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 you will train your eye to find something beautiful because you will. I promise you, you will. Even if it's a beautiful toe, and you can say that in a sexy <laughs> way, uh, whatever it is, it really doesn't matter. It's amazing what you can give that person by making an authentic statement of kindness and appreciation of who she or he is. I love it. It's it's um, a, it's a beautiful gift. Yeah. That's beautiful. Okay, I'm going to change the subject here because we're starting to run out of time. So I want to know about people who have a huge amount of sexual shame because of you know religious upbringing or you know crazy parents or whatever. Like they come to you with just so much overwhelming shame about sexuality in general. How do you work with that? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, the way I work with it is, is I find out what's there, what kind of statements they hear in their heads, and then I just 
ask them, do you believe that? Mm. And if they're sitting in front of me, they really don't. Otherwise, they wouldn't be sitting in front of me. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? A lot of people who actually believe that, they never reach me. They never reach the therapist because they actually believe that and they will die that way, meaning they will not be able to come over that shame. Mm-hmm. But the ones who actually have the courage to take that step and, and take that, that sexual, that social moral on and say and stand up against it, and I say, do you really believe that? And And I have... I have um, questionnaires that I give them. I have three particular questionnaires that, depending on how intense the religion is, because that's another thing. First, I have to find out, you know, how much, how intense was their relationship with that religion? Was it superficial or was it, you know, really intense? Because then the shame is bigger, too. But I, I I strongly believe that the people who really want to change it, they know deep down, they know that it is it, it what the, these statements are not correct, and then we work on statements they can live with, and you know, and not make the other statements wrong, but say, okay, I believe that, but now I believe this. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. then, and now is now. You know, we're not trying to change the whole religion. We're just saying, okay. That was there for a purpose, and now I want to believe this because this is what I really believe, and from now on I'm going to be this kind of a person. And mm-hmm. then we work towards that. Mm-hmm. I like that because you, you talk, you call yourself, um, uh, where did I see it? Was it on your website where you said, be the sexual being you want to be or something like that? It was like your tagline? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The sexual, yeah. the sexual being you want to be. <laughs> yeah, I help you become the sexual being you want to be. Right, exactly. Because we we have our sexuality is so deep in our bodies. I mean, the thing is, so with you, our, we start as children, you know. And when we start as children, I mean, a boy, by the time a boy is eight months old, he is a skilled masturbator. He mm-hmm. knows what feels good. And the girls, we're a little behind. We're about 12, between 12 and 14 months because our equipment is not hanging out. We have to mm-hmm. go look for it. So, <laughs> um, but, we, you know, this is how we start out. And then life happens. That sexuality, that connection to our sexuality does not go away. A lot of stuff mm-hmm. gets put on top of it, but it's there. And when they come in with that, we will find that. I will help them put a light on this, what they really feel, and then they can tell me who they want to be sexually. And then we work towards that way with statements and making sure we delete some of the statements and reprogram. Mm-hmm. We have to do that with other things too, Samati, you know, we, we not just with sexuality. You know, how about with all the phobias we have, with racism, Right. Right. True. A lot of things. So since there's so many different ways that people express their sexuality and such a variety of problems that people are working to overcome, um, like how would you generally define sexual health? How do you know when you're sexually healthy? Well, it's it's funny you ask that because people, you know, when I talk about sexual health, they talk about STDs. And, and, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, 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 no. This is where we go right away. Mm-hmm. The, 
sexual health for me because it our sexuality you know is layered in different components we have a cognitive a psychological physiological and a relationship component those are four different components it's like four living layers that we have with our sexuality so sexual health embraces the creation development interaction and harmonization of the different components of sexuality with each other. Mm-hmm. That's what sexual health is, bringing them all together, making them harmonize how you feel about sex, how you feel about being a woman, a man, how you function sexually, and how your erotic skills are in a relationship. All of that needs to harmonize, and how it harmonizes, that is our sexual health. Mm, beautiful. I love it. Well, that's a good place to end. Um, I want to give, make sure that you have time to tell our listeners how they can reach you, and um, if you'd like to offer them anything, this will be your time. Wanda, thank you so much. Well, um, what I'm currently with during the COVID, COVID period, what I'm currently doing is I'm doing online sessions. And I do that all over the world. I do that in four different languages. So um, uh, you can reach me on my website with the email martina at Dr. Fausch. Fausch's last name spelled as F-A-U-S-C-H dot com. That is also my website, drfausch.com. And then um, I also do, if you happen to find yourself on this beautiful island of Maui where your body will be super, super happy, and this is so beautiful here, the work we can do on Maui because your body is happy here and your body wants to have sex and it's a great time and a great place to really better your sexuality. If you happen to find yourself here, I do sessions in person, but I do them outside. Like we mentioned earlier, I do body image sessions on a beach. I do um, sexual challenges. If you have sexual challenge discussions, we can have them everywhere in the nature of Maui. Mm-hmm. I also have uh, a YouTube channel. Um, Dr. Martina is my YouTube channel, and I every Tuesday I, I post a video about um, sex, um, sex teaching for adults which I will just touch on everything and anything. And if you want me to touch on something, please send me a question and I will I will approach that in my next video. And I also have a six-session a six program that I'm offering for um, people who want to get married so they can really set themselves up with, a, with all the tools and with a foundation where they can have an amazing sexual relationship within their amazing lifelong relationship with the love of their lives i mean this is who we're dealing with when we get married and let me tell you sex by yourself is wonderful sex with a lover is is amazing sex with somebody that you are in love with is truly nirvana wonderful and, and we if we have commit, a minute left can we find your um marriage thing on your website no, the brand, the program is brand new. Um, I have a video on that on my YouTube channel that explains oh, what the program's all about, and it's called a. Yeah, you can find it on the YouTube channel. Okay, perfect. And Sorry, if you, YouTube off, for thirty seconds left, go ahead. Go ahead. YouTube channel is YouTube forward slash c forward slash Dr. Dr. Martina. That's my channel URL. 
perfect. I'll put that on the um, radio show information as well. So thank you so much thank for you. joining us today, Dr. Fausch, or Dr. Martina, as we call you. I really appreciate it. I learned so much. Thank you for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. So next week on Leading Edge Love, we'll be um, talking with Kathy Labriola, the author of the Jealousy Workbook. She is also working on a book right now called Poly Geezers <laughs> for Mature People Practicing Polyamory. So come and join us at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. Good night, everyone.